light of infinite. If at every moment you can choose the path that you want to pursue, as the Talmud says, Hashem will help you towards the path of your choosing, then ensuring that you are in alignment and on a path of positivity is that much more important. It's being mindful of the saying, be careful what you wish for. We shouldn't ever look at ourselves as fully bad or fully good, because that could color how we approach the future, and more often than not, in a negative way. If we realize at any given moment we have the power for bad or the power for good, we could begin to be present, let go of the weight of our past decisions, and choose good, choose positivity, in the very moment that we find ourselves in. The concept of Teshuvah, to return in Judaism, is a very powerful part of the practice of faith. The idea that at the moment that a person comes to the realization that they want to align with the light of infinite, the creator of all things, and with a full heart and with love, and desire to connect and to forge a new path, it's in that heartfelt sincerity that we can be born anew in a sense, and our past transgressions between created and creator are washed away. If only all relationships were as easy, if the ones that we navigate with others coming to a truce or a state of peace in which all the past trials, tribulations, and misunderstandings were completely stricken from the record of the memories and the impact between ourselves and others, the layers of disconnect and discontent would vanish, and we would realize that they are all manifestations of misunderstandings in our state of exile. It's believed that before birth we make an oath, be a tzaddik, a righteous person, and don't be a rasha, a wicked person. This seems a bit superfluous. If one swears to be righteous, why would they then also swear not to be wicked? The Alter Rebbe explains that it's because not everyone can reach the level of tzaddik, and that it is imperative to also swear that we don't fall into wickedness. A person makes an oath to overcome their impulse to evil, and this is the constant struggle we experience caught between these two choices. This state of being is the name of the text within Tanya, which the Alter Rebbe teaches these very lessons. It's titled, The Book of the Inbetweeners. The lesson is, if we all have the power to personify that which unites or that which divides, then always choosing the path of the righteous and not of the other side, the Sitra is the key to revelation. In this week's parasha, we read a cautionary tale of the path of the Sitra Balak was the king of Moab and felt threatened by the Israelites wandering near his land, with Moshe leading them and Hashem protecting them. Balak had a special power over nature. He used sorcery to manipulate it, but he saw through the miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the exodus of Egypt, that the Jews were connected to the power above nature. He knew that he could not defeat them himself, so he called on Bilam, the master of all sorcerers, to curse them. Bilam gained his power of prophecy through the Sitra Achra, the other side. His powers in his mouth and his ability to curse a person, deflecting their faith, convincing them to rebel against the divine. It's clear from the Torah that Bilam did have a special power to connect to Hashem, but there are different opinions about how powerful Bilam actually was. At the end of the Torah, we learn that never again in Israel did there arise a prophet like Moshe. The Zohar says that another one did not arise in Israel, but there was another amongst the other nations, namely Bilam. But Midbar Rabbah states that Bilam was a prophet like Moshe, even exceeding Moshe's greatness in certain ways. It's stated in Talmud Sanhedrin that he first was a prophet and then a sorcerer. Ibn Ezra argues that Bilam actually had no ability to curse or to bless, but was simply a stargazer and an astrologer. When he saw someone's unlucky moment was to arrive, he would curse him, and when evil would befall the person, Bilam would be credited as if it was his own powers that had done it. As we see with the verse, how can I curse? God has not cursed. The Talmud teaches that Bilam planned to curse Israel at that moment of Hashem's wrath, but no such wrath took place on those days. Bilam had intended for a curse, but it could never manifest. Ramban explains that as a magician, he knew when Hashem would speak to him, whereas a true prophet like Moshe, whose power came solely from divine inspiration, 
never knew when Hashem would speak to him or what he would say. What's clear from all the sources is that Moshe and Bilam were on the opposite ends of how they choose to use their immense powers. Moshe was connected to the purity of the Torah, while Bilam was steeped in impurity and wanted to uproot the Torah. Moshe attained his supreme level of oneness with the light of the infinite by seeking the highest levels of service to Hashem. Bilam, on the other hand, chose the lowest levels of impurity, so low that, as you'll read in Talmud Avodah he was known for his bestiality with his donkey. The greater a person's sanctity, the greater their ability to attain Torah. The lower the moral level, the more likely the person is to oppose Torah. Here's the people that came out from Egypt and hides the earth from view. Come now and curse them for me. Perhaps I can engage them in battle and drive them off. Rav Moshe Feinstein points out that Balak says that the Israelites came out, past tense, from Egypt, while Bilam later says that they will be coming out in future tense. The difference between the tense and its implication is massive. Balak thought that Israel was like other nations and that they had forgotten the exodus from Egypt. Bilam, on the other hand, knew that Israel would never forget. That is an obligation to remember that we were redeemed from exile by Hashem himself. Balak didn't see the future or trust in the faith Israel would constantly fight to keep. He was only worried about the present moment. Israel covered the surface of the land when he saw them, but he believed they would forget the miracles they had experienced and would assimilate into the nations. Bilam saw that the Jews would last forever as long as they held on to their faith. But he feared that the Jews would influence the entire world, that everyone would see the holiness of their ways and subjugate themselves to this kingdom of priests. Bilam, in trying to explain his limits of his power to Balak, says, Behold, it's a blessing that I have taken, and such a blessing I cannot reverse. The word blessing is written here twice. The first with the first vowel as a kamatz, which means closed or sealed, and the second one with the first vowel being tseri, which alludes to Litzayel, which means to take shape. Rabbi Nachman in Likutei Maran expounds on the meaning behind this. Hashem's light, which descended upon us, is an undifferentiated and unformed, meaning sealed state. It's up to each of us to create a vessel with which to receive this light, so that it can take shape within us and through us. If a person's vessel is faulty, it doesn't mean that light won't come to that person, but that person won't have the capacity to shape the light into a blessing. That's why the verse says, it is a blessing that I have taken, as it's up to each person to perfect their vessel so that they may take Hashem's blessing. We cannot choose our blessings or how much light we will receive, but we can continually work to make ourselves vessels that are open to receiving and giving blessings and light. This is an important lesson in giving proper respect and perspective to past realities, to what formed us and the people and forces to which we owe our life and proper gratitude. That kind of perspective and gratitude is essential to creating a vessel that can receive one's proper share of the infinite light. But God said to Bilam, do not go with them. You must not curse that people, for they are blessed. Rashi says, Hashem said to Bilam, you should not invoke a curse upon Bnei Israel. So Bilam said to Hashem, I shall bless them. But Hashem replied, they do not need your blessing. They are blessed. Rashi alludes to the proverb, they say to the wasp, some say to a bee, we want neither your honey nor your sting explaining that Hashem rejected Bilam's offer of blessing Israel because just as gathering honey involves the risk of being stung, so too the blessings of the wicked are not altruistic. There is always evil mixed into those blessings that aren't said with pure intention to give to another person. Then Balak said to Bilam, What have you done to me? Here I brought you to damn these enemies. Instead you have blessed them? The Khatam Sofer shares a Kabbalistic interpretation of this verse. He notes that we have 354 days in the lunar year, 222 of which carry the air of Hashem's attribute of judgment, Deen, which is why we have the custom of saying Tachanun, the supplication, Nefilat Apaim, on those days. 
This leaves 132 days in which we do not say Tachamim, since on those days Hashem's attribute of mercy, Rachamim, dominates. With this in mind, it's believed that Balak wanted Bilam to curse the 132 days of mercy, so that the entire year would be dominated by Hashem's attribute of judgment, in the hopes that Israel would never benefit from Hashem's unlimited mercy. But when the curse was changed into a blessing, the opposite occurred. In the 222 days when judgment was present, mercy was introduced, so that now the full year has elements of mercy. The Hebrew word lakov means to curse and has the numerical value, the gematria of 132. And the word barach, which means blessing, has the gematria of 222, combining together to make up 354 days in the lunar year. Balak was telling Bilam, I summon you to bring a curse into the 132 days of mercy so that Israel would be subject to exacting judgment. Instead, you bless the 222 days to be times of Hashem's mercy. The Lubavitcher Rebbe shares that there is a mystical text that demonstrates an inherent connection between Bilam and Amalek, and an allusion to this belief is clear when we write out their names, one on top of the other. When combining the first two letters of each, Bilam, Bet, Lamed, and Amalek, Ayin, Mem, it spells out Bilam. And if we connect the remaining two letters of Bilam, Ayin, Mem, and Lamed, Kof, it spells Amalek. We are taught that to rid ourselves of the Klippah in these two personalities, forces, and attributes, we have to strengthen our Ahava, love of God, and Yirah, fear of God. We see the relationship between the two fundamental feelings of faith when we look at them in the same fashion. If we place Yirah on top of Ahava and combine the first two letters, Yod Varesh, with the Ahava, Aleph, and He, it spells Yirah. And when we do the same with the remaining letters of these words, Aleph and He, and Bet and He, we see it spells Ahava. This means that Amalek was able to wage war against Israel because they descended from Esav, arguing that being a great-grandson of Yitzchak and a great-great-grandson of Avraham gave them license to speak out on matters relating to the Torah and holiness. It's only through Yirah and Ava for Hashem that we must not allow even a slight opening to become the person about whom it's written, they know their master, yet purposely set out to rebel against him. When Israel wasn't diligent in this way, Amalek would attack. The Talmud states that it's the same with Bilam, a descendant of Levan, who argued, The daughters are my daughters, and the sons are my sons, and all that you see is mine. Arguing that he too is related to the Jews, because the tribe of Israel developed from his daughters. The moral is that at times someone may demonstrate their connection or relation to you, only to deceive you into straying from Torah and mitzvot. At this time, it is that much more important to lean into Yirah and Ava of our Creator, and this person must be told clear terms. We have but our Father in Heaven. Our sole criterion for anything is the Torah. Neither pedigree nor anything else of that sort is decisive for us. The Torah is the exclusive touchstone and standard. Whatever accords with the Torah is fine. But if something conflicts with the Torah, even if it comes from Bilam or Amalek, the very fact that it is counter proves that it has no bearing upon us whatsoever. It's when we are strong in Yirah and Ava of our Creator that Bilam and Amalek, the nation and notion that the Torah commands us to eliminate from the world, that we can fight suffolk, doubt, and fear which try to deceive us and stop us from connecting to the emet, to the truth. This Parsha is meant to remind us the ways that we can and do use speech, either to bless or to curse. Our rituals connected to the Torah give us so many opportunities to bless. Every day, multiple times a day, the Siddur guides us to say, O Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. In Talmud Brachot, Rabbi Yochanan says that before every prayer, one should recite this verse, and when they finish praying, they should say, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable before you. And as we covered in Parshat Shlach, in the Sephardic tradition and some Hasidic traditions, one says the L'Shem Yechud blessing before doing any mitzvah, 
Chabad says it before Baruch Shamar and is meant to apply to all the mitzvot throughout the day. It reads, For the sake of unification of the Holy One, blessed be He, and His presence in fear and in love, to unite the name Yudke, the masculine part of the divine, and Vavke, the feminine part of the divine, in perfect unity and in the name of all Israel. Peace is brought on by unification with Hashem. As a result of our spiritual exile, we are far removed from the Edenic state and our godly souls. Reciting this verse with pure intention is meant to rectify the disunity and concealment. When we speak these blessings, we bring peace and unity into our reality. Balak says, Come then, put a curse upon these people for me, since they are too numerous for me. Perhaps I can thus defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed indeed, and he who you curse is cursed. Coming from a place of darkness and a desire to bring a people down through cursing them will only bring harm to oneself. That is the lesson. Those who bless shall be blessed. If you are the one giving blessings, it means you are a vessel for blessings. The potential for light is limitless for such a person. And as good begets good, blessing begets blessing. This verse illuminates how dangerous it is to connect with the Sitra the other side. Curse is not something that a person can hope for as a one-time thing. You can't wish ill on someone and not be affected by it yourself. Cursing another, trying to break another's vessel, is a fracturing of one's own vessel. So Hashem's light that could descend into and through you is deflected and diffracted by your own self-fracturing. May this Shabbat be an opportunity to heal our fractured vessels, reconnecting to the spirit of blessing, pushing away the Sitra Achra, and inviting the light of the infinite. Shabbat Shalom. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.